We're going to spend one more week on that single word, that opening paragraph of the proclamation, and that single word, Heavenly Father puts family where in His heart, where in His plan. I mean, aren't you glad? Because we're the family, right? We get to benefit from that. It's not just what He does, it's who He is. It's His nature. It's His character. So what then does that say about celestial people? If you really truly want to go to the celestial kingdom, what kind of people must we be? I mean, how, I don't know how to say this kindly, but so many people put other things at the center of their lives and then the thought of going to the celestial kingdom where they're gonna spend eternity putting their family at the center of their life there's no magic, wake up one day and all of a sudden family's magically more important than what I've made it my whole life, right? And so one of the great realities is that if we want to go to the celestial kingdom, if we want the life that Heavenly Father has, we have to develop the attributes that He has. And what do we know about Heavenly Father? What's most important to Heavenly Father? Money? It's kind of funny to even suggest that, right? Heavenly Father loves money. Heavenly Father loves recognition and popularity. <laughs> Heavenly Father loves what? His family. It is at the center. So we need to develop into those characteristics and we need to, and not only that, but why? What does that tell us? Not only is that his nature, but if he's a happy being, shouldn't we make the connection that that is the source of happiness? That when you put your time and effort and your energy into the greatest sources of happiness, it will bring us the greatest amount of happiness. So we've begun a list of how do I prevent the tendency to move family out of its center position? And I've asked you to accept an apostolic attitude, Lord is it I, and say, the biggest threat to your family is not some outside force. The biggest threat to your family is you. I can't tell you how many people I know came to the end of their lives and said, I wish I would have made family more of a priority. I've never met anyone who at the end of his life said, I wish I would have spent more time at the office. I've never met anyone who ever said, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. Or I wish I'd spent more time golfing or playing sports. But I can't tell you the number of people throughout my life who have said towards the twilight years of their life, I wish I hadn't been fooled by an imitation I wish I'd spent more time with the people that matter the most to me. So forgive me, uh, don't forgive me, I think it's important that we took three weeks to talk about scriptural lessons that remind us to keep family center. So some of them were, don't be fooled, know the difference between things that come to naught and things that others have a tendency to set at naught. Understand that relationships have to be nurtured. They're just not magically strong. If you want a strong family, you're gonna get it by doing what? Making it a strong family. It is not naturally going to be strong. Relationships need to be nourished like plants need to be nourished. 
which means they need a constant source of nutrients because the heat of the sun is going to dry them up. Recognize the things that are needful. Can you tell me right now in your family, if Jesus were to say to you, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. Do you know, are you aware of what's most needed in your family right now? Are you able to say, I know what's needful? Maybe needful is to work harder. Maybe what's needful is wholesome recreational activities. Maybe what's needful is some forgiveness. Maybe what's needful is some repentance. So know what's needful. Then the last one, uh, the one I saved for the very end, and we'll finish up tonight. I wanted you to see a general pattern. Jesus was asked on the Tuesday night of his final week. So triumphal entry was Sunday. He curses the fig tree. Tuesday he teaches in the temple, and that leads to a great discussion with his disciples out in the Mount of Olives. We know nothing about Wednesday. Thursday is the Last Supper and the Atonement. Friday he is arraigned, sentenced, and crucified. He's thrown into the grave, into the tomb. He's there on Saturday, and he rises Sunday morning. The last teaching he will do, except for the upper room and the Last Supper, was out on the Mount of Olives on Tuesday night. He was asked two questions. When will Jerusalem be destroyed? That was their lifetime. He answered that question probably in greater detail than we have in our scriptures because that was their day. And then they asked one intriguing question that usually never gets answered by the Savior, but this time did. What was the question? Tell us about the second coming. Jesus was asked by his disciples, tell us about the second coming. And the first thing out of his mouth, our ears are to perk up. Jesus talking about our day, his biggest concern about our day, what was the first thing out of his mouth? the very elect are going to be fooled by an imitation. It's the first thing he said. You want to know my biggest concern about the latter days? Is the imitations are going to be so appetizing, the very elect are going to be deceived. Now, another totally different but pattern. Tell me what we find in the very beginning of the Book of Mormon. Eighth chapter of the Book of Mormon is a marvelous vision. The Book of Mormon begins with what major message? There's a tree that is the source of happiness. And there's an imitation. And a lot of people in Lehi's dream were fooled by the imitation, right? They let go of the tree, they let go of the rod, and they found themselves headed over to the imitation. Now the tree, let's go back to 1 Nephi chapter 8, verse 10. Tell me what was the purpose of the tree. 1 Nephi chapter 8, verse 10, what was the purpose of the tree of life? What was, what is, what always will be the purpose of the tree of life? to make you happy, to make you happy. And then if we combine what Nephi, Lehi, and Alma say, there are eight words used to describe the fruit of the tree, but every one of them comes with a superlative. Look at the superlative in verse nine. 
sorry, verse 11. 10, he says it's designed to make you happy. And then in verse 11, he says the fruit was sweet above all that is sweet. Now, I know the tree is the love of God, but can you make the connection that if the tree is the, is the most sweet of all things, isn't family part of that? Could we say that the tree represents your family? The happiness of family, especially in eternity. What then is the building? It is the imitation. It is everything that your enemy wants you to think will make you happy in order to pull you away from what really makes us happy. These are the imitation happinesses. Now, do you see? Jesus was asked, tell me about the latter days. The Book of Mormon begins with, good people are going to be fooled by imitations. The Savior says, my biggest concern is that good people are going to be fooled by the imitation." I would suggest to you the number one reason people take family and move it out of the center is because they re replace it with something that they are fooled into thinking will make them more, more happy. What are the imitations? So if this is common among, let's do one more. Maybe at the risk of being a little distracted, the book of Revelation talks about a woman that represents the church of God, clothed in the sun. Remember the imagery? She has in her right hand a cup. It's the sacrament cup. And there's wine in that cup. And then there's another woman in the book of Revelation, right? It's the whore. It's the apostate. And she also has a cup. And there's wine in her cup. But her wine is intended to intoxicate you. And there's the, there's the tree and then there's the building. It's the imitation. Are you fooled by an imitation? Now, this was Lehi's version. Nephi asked to say the, see the same thing. He saw a historical version. Nephi was told, I will show you the end. I will show you the same thing I'm going to show John. So Nephi was shown the woman and the imitation. Nephi was shown our day, but he wasn't going to write about it, right? John's going to write about it. But doesn't, it didn't prevent Nephi from talking about it. Nephi has seen the end of the world. And he wasn't allowed to write it, but he was allowed to comment on it. So we left off in 1 Nephi chapter 22. Perhaps some of the greatest comments by Nephi as to how the world ends. He says, I can't tell you, but I am going to point out a couple things. Like, it's not good that beats evil. It's evil that destroys evil. He says in 17 through 21, he says, don't worry, you're going to be fine. The righteous need not fear. I've seen the end. I can't tell you what happens, but the righteous need not fear. And then in verse 23, Nephi, who saw John's vision, Nephi, who's giving us the tree of life, his own version, 
saw the end of our day and says, let me talk about some of the most deceptive imitations. I think 1 Nephi chapter 22, verse 23, is one of the most important scriptures in the Book of Mormon as to saying, here's the enemy. Nephi saw the end of the world and he said, here's the imitation churches that are going to fool the very elect. So what was the first one we talked about? First Nephi chapter 22, verse 23, all churches that are established to get gain. Now, forgive me if I get a little blunt, but do you know good Latter-day Saints who have forgotten what's most important and that is at the center of their life? It's not hard to do. Are these good people or bad people who have done it? Good people. Good people who got fooled into thinking that this, now what are they saying to themselves, right? I'm earning this money for my family, but that was a fig leaf. That was an excuse that they were hiding behind. The reality is, if you were really doing with your, for your family, where would you be? You'd be home with them. But they, they, they've been fooled by an imitation. And so I would just plead with you, don't be fooled by an imitation. It's intoxicating. The wine in the harlot's hand is intoxicating and people get intoxicated by it. And this is intoxicating. But it will never, ever give you the happiness that that will. Don't be fooled by an imitation. Okay, number two. We got to read this one carefully. I think we could focus on the word power and people who are obsessed with power. But I think what Nephi saw, if we read other scriptures and the pattern of other scriptures, what's the imitation? Power over the flesh. That's the church, right? Power over the flesh. What is it in our day that has power over our flesh and leads to the destruction of the family? Very, very quickly, let me just take you on a very quick journey. Normally, this would take about an hour to set up. I Forgive me for going so quickly. But turn briefly to, first, or to Moses chapter 5. Moses chapter 5, Satan has a secret. Let me tell you what Satan's secret is, right? Satan has a secret. Verse 31. Well, in verse 30, Satan forms secret combinations. And verse 30, one of the reasons we call them secret combinations is because they do things in secret. But verse 31, another reason we call them secret combinations is because they know a secret. Satan has a secret. What is it? Verse 31, I am Mahan, master of this great secret. And then he reveals Satan's secret. What is Satan's secret? How to turn life into money. How to end your life and take your money. Look at verse 33. Why did Cain kill Abel? Not out of jealousy for his 
sacrifice. Why did Cain kill Abel? For his flocks. I ended his life and took his possessions and I got rich. Satan's secret is how to kill so that I get rich. Now think about all the implementation. Think about all the forms of that secret. American slavery was Satan's secret. How to turn their lives into my money. War is Satan's secret. How to turn your life into my money. David, you begin to see it's all over. I mean, almost every murder mystery you see on television or you read about in books, what's the basic plot of the murder mystery? Someone died so that someone else got rich. There's Satan's secret. He taught them the secret. Now, luckily, the police know Satan's secrets. And so how do we catch the bad guy? What do we look for? Who got rich? And that's how they figure out who the bad guy is. Okay, so Satan's secret is to turn life into money. But how many times can Cain kill Abel and steal his flocks? Once. In our day, Satan has kicked that up a notch. Turn with me to section 89. Now, you should know what 89 is. What's section 89? Does that ring a bell with anyone? The word of wisdom. What does the word of wisdom have to do with Satan's secret? I know that in our culture, the word of wisdom has become a law of health, what we eat. That was not what the Lord said its purpose was initially. Certainly part of it. And we'll talk about that some other day. Let's read verse four. Why did the Lord give us the word of wisdom? Anyone want to read verse 4? Please. Behold, verily thus saith the Lord unto you, in consequence of evils and designs which do and will exist in the hearts of conspiring men. Secret combination, secret combination. Did you hear it? Secret combination. Conspiring men, secret combination. Because of what they're conspiring to do, keep going. I have warned you and forewarned you by giving unto you this word of wisdom by revelation. In other words, the word of wisdom is calling out a secret combination. So tell me. What is Satan's secret in our day? How does he turn life into money? Addiction. Addiction. It's brilliant, right? I can kid, Cain can kill Abel one time and steal his flock, but if he can addict Abel, what will he do? He will steal his money over and over and over and over again. One of the great secret combinations the Lord has called out in our day are churches that have power over the flesh. And if you look at, very practically speaking, what ruins more families than almost any other, anything else? Addiction. How many of you know a family that's been ruined by addiction? And Nephi saw it. The imitation happinesses, he said, are all the churches built to get gain and then all the churches that have power over their flesh. And I lose my agency because I'm addicted. So can I just simply say addiction? 
And we could talk forever about that thing, right? There are certainly food addictions, but what are threats to the family that are even, that are non-food addictions? Okay, social media addiction. I have watched marriages break up over social media addiction. Video game addiction. I can't tell you how many families I've watched struggle because of video game addictions. You name it. Whoever has power over your flesh controls you and you will pay them money. How many people are fooled by an imitation happiness because they're addicted to it? That's a threat to the family. Addiction, as Nephi saw, churches that have power over the flesh. We're living in the day that he saw it, and we're all saying, oh my goodness, Nephi, you are absolutely right. Addiction is one of the chief reasons that family is pushed out of the way. Any thoughts? Are you kind of amazed at how accurate Nephi's being as you look around the day he's describing and saying, oh my goodness, that's exactly right. People are fooled by that and people are fooled by that. Please. I, I love this, like looking at the word of wisdom like this. I feel like we need a conference talk. Like, you're right, like we really focus on like, don't smear, don't smoke, don't drink, we eat healthy. Like, this is like huge. We focus on the health side of it and not the secret combination side of it. Sorry, a big pet peeve of mine. If anyone's ever been in my classroom, you know that I spend a lot of time talking about this very thing because you're absolutely right. Now, do you see Satan's subtle attempt to downplay that and keep it out of our attention? We have so many people worried about pornographic books in libraries right now. And it's like, okay, I understand the concern, but how about addiction? You want to fight a fight? There's the fight to fight. <clears throat> Which I guess they're trying, they're saying they're trying to fight the fight of addiction. That's going to come up here in a minute. But don't be fooled into downplaying the seriousness of an addiction. because it removes family out of the central. All right, we got to go. Any other comments? It's scary how accurate Nephi was, right? Okay, give me the next one. The, the, the church of popularity. What's the threat here? What's the threat? I, I see it in so many ways. I don't know if, if we can describe all of them, but what's the threat here? Can I just give you a common threat? I see it all the time. I see it in myself. I see it in other people. We will yell at our children. And then the doorbell rings and we're all, hello, how are you? Welcome to my lovely home. <clears throat> and I, I know I'm being a little facetious, but the attitude is I'm okay treating them like crap. But you, I have to put on this performance that everything's great. And I think that's part of the threat to the family. I think the popularity works a little bit with the gaining power over the flesh. Mm -hmm. You see how they're interconnected, right? There's people 
I think that are influencers and stuff and they take advantage of their children going through stuff and they sometimes make it worse too. And that's a fine line because you know what? I've suffered because, you know, my husband got cancer and died and I and I'm suffering and I want to help you through it, but I'm going to take advantage of that situation. I know there's a fine line and I don't want to be judgmental, but do you begin to see how popularity, social success often causes the family to be pushed out of the way? What you think of me is more important than what they think of me. And so which audience am I playing to? The one I should or the one that makes no difference whatsoever? Do you see the imitation? So easily fooled into, I'm okay yelling at you, but man, when the neighbor comes over, I have to be so pleasant. Shouldn't that be reversed? Shouldn't I say, I don't care about the neighbor, I'm gonna be pleasant to you. The most important people in my life, I'm gonna be pleasant to. But we flip that out of this desire. I think too, from a kid's standpoint, like they trust possibly influencers more than their own parents. And there it is. And like, as um, there was a woman in Harriman arrested, it was on KSL, she's a very popular in- influencer. Mm-hmm. She got arrested for domestic violence. Yeah. But she's like a mom blogger. Right. The irony of that is irony. just... But it's scary that like my kids are going to follow someone on social media more than what I'm trying to tell Yep. Them. So part of the addiction here, part of the, part of the fooled by an imitation is my parents, eh, but that person that's so popular, I'm going to follow. And I have been fooled by an imitation, right? Now, what do you know about this building? It's gonna crumble and fall. All right, I'd love to spend a little bit more time. I'm gonna let you think about each one of these, but we gotta get through this list. Let's get to number four. One of the most dangerous to the family. Lust. Lust. How many families has it broken up? How much cheating? How much looking out the window and seeing someone else that I think is a greater source of happiness than what I have at home? Fooled by an imitation. And everyone who ever gets fooled by an imitation, does it ever lead to great happiness or does it lead to drowning in the river? I know a very good man He was very influential. He looked over in that building and saw his secretary and perceived a happiness that was greater than the one he had at home. And so he let go of the tree and he ran over to the building. Now whose lives have fallen into the river because of that decision? His, hers, hers, theirs. I think the Book of Mormon perceived that. Turn with me. Let's, let's do this properly. I, the scripture I want to go to, I will go to in a minute. But allow me to set this up. Go to Jacob chapter 3. 
And as soon as I say Jacob, you should kind of know where I'm going, right? Why does Jacob gather everyone at the temple? Do you remember what they were doing that caused him to gather them? But go to chapter 3, Jacob chapter 3. He says, I need to warn you of, and I love the language here. Look at verse 12. What was he warning them? I need to tell you of the awful consequence. Jacob 3.12. I need to tell you about the awful consequences of fornication and lasciviousness. In other words, anyone fooled by this imitation Anyone who thinks that that is a happiness greater than this happiness, let me tell you the awful consequences of being fooled. So very briefly, let's make a list. And I know this is a painful list. Bear with me. Let's make a list of the awful consequences if you are fooled by that imitation happiness. Let's go back to chapter 2, verse 8. Name an awful consequence that comes when people are fooled by lust as an imitation happiness. End of verse 8. What will that do? Jacob 2. Jacob 2, verse 8. Read it. Suppose, Suppose of me that I have come up hither to hear these women who have come supposed that they were going to come up to hear the pleasing word of God, yea, the, the word that healeth the wounded soul. What's happening to the women that are coming to hear Jacob? Their husbands have been immoral. And what has it done to them? It has wounded their souls. How many people do you know whose soul was wounded by someone else being fooled by the imitation of lust. Every one of us have. Verse 9, It burdeneth my soul that I should be constrained because of the strict commandment which I have received from God to admonish you concerning your crimes, to enlarge the wounds of those who are already wounded, and instead of consoling and healing their wounds, to have those who, to, those who have not been wounded, instead of feasting them upon the pleasing word of God, we've got to talk about a different subject that's going to do what? Some of you women are going to find out what your husbands have been doing and what's it going to do in verse 9. It's going to be a dagger placed to pierce your soul. And wound your delicate mind. Pretty accurate statement. If a woman, any woman has ever been cheated on, or a man who's been cheated on, what is it like? A dagger that pierces your soul. These are the awful consequences. Verse 10, he talks about broken hearts. Now, I don't, we won't spend a whole lot of time on this list other than to go to verse 35. So, the decision of this man who looked over through the building and saw a happiness that he thought was greater than what he had at home, whose lives did he interrupt? His, hers, hers, and theirs. Listen to the Book of Mormon's description of this. So accurate. Behold, you have done greater iniquities than... This is in verse 35. Everyone with me? Jacob 2, 35. 
you have done greater iniquities than the Lamanites, our brethren. You have broken the hearts of your tender wives and lost the confidence of your children because of your bad examples before them and the sobbings of their hearts ascend up to God against you. And because of the strictness of the word of God, which cometh down against you, many hearts died pierced with deep wounds. That's an accurate description of today, isn't it? Sarah, what's the look on your face trying to say? Ouch, right? You wouldn't want to be them. Now, do you think some of them are going to wake up one day and say, I was fooled by an imitation? I was fooled by an imitation. This is one of the most dangerous false churches in our day that fool the very elect. You know that song, As Sisters in Zion, that we sing? As Sisters in Zion. The woman who wrote that song was in Martin Handcart Company. She walked through the snow in the Handcart Company. She suffered privation like few others. When she got to Salt Lake, later on in her life, her husband was unfaithful to her. She made the comment that compared to the pain of her husband's unfaithfulness, nothing she suffered in the Martin Handcart Company was even a comparison. I think a lot of people would agree. When someone gets fooled by an imitation, many hearts die pierced with deep wounds. Determine today, I just plead with you to today to say, I will keep family central. I will not be fooled by an imitation. Having seen what Nephi saw, I will not be fooled. I won't be one of those that are fooled into an imitation and end up with piercing deep wounds because I got fooled by one of these imitations. Now one more, let's just throw in the fifth one. First Nephi 22, 23, what's the fifth one? He just kind of sums up the fifth one and says, the churches of the world, the things of the world, the things of the world, Oh, how the world loves a cause, right? What's some of the world's causes today? Gender equality, racial equality. And sometimes those are wonderful things. But when the cause becomes more important than family. Saving the earth is a cause. But disagreements on worldly issues are doing what to the family? And all of a sudden you've been, you, fool, you, you, have fallen, you have fallen for an imitation. When the cause is more important than the relationship, you have fallen for an imitation.
I am astounded at how accurate Nephi saw our day. And he's waving his arms. Remember, it's all in the context of tree of life. It's in the context of the building was the imitation and people let go of the tree to go to the building. So let's end with the good news. What is it in Lehi's dream that gives you help to not be fooled by an imitation? What was the secret? What was the secret to not being fooled by the building? What could you do to make sure you didn't end up fooled by the building? You hold to the rod. You hold to the rod, whether that's scripture or temple or prophet or personal revelation, prayer and all of those things. Those who hold to the rod will not be fooled by the imitations. Let me end with one more scripture. Go back to Jesus talking about the latter day. So Joseph Smith Matthew is where we talked about last time. Verse 21 and 22 is where he says, I'm worried about people being fooled by an imitation, right? Do you remember this from last week? Don't be fooled by an imitation. Joseph, go to Joseph Smith Matthew, Pearl of Great Price, Joseph Smith Matthew. And just as a reminder, see verse 21, 22, the very elect would be deceived. Jesus is saying the very elect will be deceived by false Christ. Here are the false Christs that are deceiving the very elect. Now, what antidote did Jesus give? Look at verse 37. What antidote did the Savior give to not being fooled by an imitation? Treasure up my word. Do you see the similarity between that and Lehi's dream? Treasure up my word. One of the great secrets is that the gospel will keep family center. Reading the scriptures and attending the temple and prayer will keep family central. Because the more you do those things, the more likely you are to not be fooled by an imitation. And you will gravitate to what makes us the most happy. I pray that none of you get to the end of your life and look back and say, I wasted a lot of time because I was fooled by an imitation. I think one of the reasons this is an institute class is to say, as you head out into the world, keep family central and don't be fooled by an imitation. Is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.